Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us. This beautiful, of course, every day is beautiful. It's great to wake up. It's great to be alive. This Saturday morning, Saturdays are a great day to be in the garden, but really, I would say that any day that ends in the letter Y is a great day to be outside and in the landscape. Oh boy, we've had all kinds of weather. It's been hot, it's been not really dry, it's been nice, and we've had some, a lot of cloud coverage this week. If um, you're here in the Northeast Georgia mountain area, but the sun's poking through throughout the week and really giving us that, uh, I think, a nice summer. I mean, it could be worse, right? It really could. It could be hot and dry. But hot with some water and moisture, it's always great. Speaking of water and moisture, if, if you missed last week's program, then you need to check out uh, that show online at NewSouthernGarden.com because last week we, we talked all about working with water in the landscape. You see, water is a beast. Water is very, it's extremely powerful. It all starts with that one tiny little droplet of water that falls out of the sky 10,000, 30,000 feet in the air. And that one little drop explodes when it hits the ground and it throws soil every which way. It is like a mini explosion. We talked about that last week. But of course, it's not just one droplet that falls. It is droplet after droplet. <laughs> and that's where it is difficult to fight water. But it's better to work with it. So last week we talked all about working with water in the landscape. We talked about uh, preventing erosion, particularly on slopes. We talked about repairing slopes that are eroded and some products and some activities we can undergo to make sure that we don't lose the integrity of our sloping soil because we need to plant on those slopes if you're in the mountains foothills of the mountains you know about these slopes and we did talk a bit about waterlogged soils waterlogged soils is sort of the opposite of, of soils that drain very well or sloped usually we don't find waterlogged soils on slopes but we did talk at the end of the last program uh, last week's program about working and gardening in those waterlogged areas well, gang, uh, today is always an exciting day because this is the last Saturday of the month. Can you believe August is already rolling away? And, of course, the last Saturday, Saturday of the month, we are answering your questions, going to the mailbag, going to the mailbox. And, you know, it's your garden. 
It's your questions, but it's our answers. And of course, we would like for New Southern Garden to not just be a place where you can get inspired to try new things, plant new plants, discover this, discover that. But we also want to dedicate uh, this portion to or, or some of the program to helping you specifically helping you specifically in your landscape. Of course, everybody's landscape's different. The plants we grow may be very different, but there are some similarities. So if you've got a question uh, that is just burning through your landscape, burning through your garden, feel free to send that to us at NewSouthernGarden.com. Of course, you can also send us a message or videos and pictures on Facebook and Instagram, and that's a great place to, um, to also provide us with your question. You know, you can type a question, send us an email, whatever. But if you need to attach those pictures, if you feel like it would be helpful, the answer is yes, it would be. Because in this business, if you're going to try to describe something, that can be difficult with words. But of course, we can look at your pictures. We can look at uh, your video, whatever uh, technology you want to send us. And we can help you identify a pest. We can help you identify whether it's a weed or a disease or maybe an insect. Or maybe there's a certain flower or a plant that is growing. You don't know if it's a good plant or a bad plant. You want a name for that plant? Well, sending us a picture is probably one of the best ways. And we'd love you to tag us at New Southern Garden on Facebook and Instagram. Let's get social together and um, try to help you solve your landscaping questions one question at a time. <laughs> Speaking of one question at a time, let's go ahead and open that mailbag, mail mailbag, mailbox, if I can untie my tongue this morning. Jerry here in Northeast Georgia, he sends us a question. I guess it's really about weeds, but it's about lawn and weeds. So here he goes. I have a small Bermuda lawn, but it has several patches of nut sedge growing through it. How can I get rid of the sedge without damaging the lawn. Well, Jerry, we are very thankful for your question and thankful that you have described to us a situation uh, in detail. You told us what you're growing, which is, of course, that Bermuda lawn, and you're telling us you've identified, I hope you've appropriately identified, the weed, the sedge, the nut sedge in particular. Now, it's important when we're talking about getting weeds out of lawn that we determine what these weeds are. So we're going to assume, Jerry, that you've determined that you've determined that nutsedge is growing in your lawn. And I will say that this is a difficult situation because if you're not familiar, folks, with uh, nutsedge or any sedges, just know that these sedges are this strange group of plants. They are very similar to grass-like plants. We could say they are grass-like plants, but they're closely related to grasses. They grow like a grass. They're a monocot. Uh, they can be mowed, and they come back up just like grass does. So they respond, they act, they look a lot like grasses, these sedges. Now, botanically speaking, most of these sedges, that's a common name, but most of these sedges fall into a group of plants, the genre Genre, genre, genera, <laughs> the genus Carex, C-A-R-E-X, Carex. So these are some really interesting plants. There are some wonderful sedges that we actually sell in the nursery because they're beautiful plants. But there are many sedges that are weeds, 
plenty of sedges are plants that start to creep in lawns. They can grow pretty much anywhere. They don't mind wet soil. They don't mind fairly dry soil. And so whether it's clay, compacted, whether it's loosened clay, organic matter soils, sandy soils, sedges are really easy to grow, which is why, Jerry, you've got these sedges growing in your lawn because your lawn is on this soil that is just full of nutrition. And if you, if you fertilize and, and water your lawn, you are providing that space with wonderful things that these sedges can grow in. Now, with that being said, what we need to talk about is weed control. And we've talked about weed control in the past, so I want to remind you that there are three main groups of weed control products because at this point, Jerry, you could go manually and dig out and pick out uh, those sedge plants. You can mow them to the ground, make sure they don't go to seed. Uh, because if they go to seed, you'll have even more plants. But if you've got nut sedge, then you've seen that little tiny nut-like structure that grows near the base of the plant, which essentially, if that little nut is left behind, so you can pull out the leaves, pull out the roots, but if that little nut's left behind, a new plant can generate. And so with that in mind, Jerry, you can really aggressively go in there and try to uh, remove the plants manually, whatever, uh, to get them out. But most likely, they are going to return. They're going to grow back. So with that being said, it is going to probably take some chemical applications. And of course, you don't have to use chemistries in your landscape. If you don't want to use chemistry, it's completely up to you. Uh, however, when it comes down to these chemistries, we've got to remember there's three main groups. Number one, we have herbicides that kill anything that's green. Anything that's green, right? So glyphosate, the Roundup, that has such a bad name now, even though nothing's been proven about it. It's just litigations that have given it a bad name and claims. Uh, but anyhow, that is an example of a non-selective herbicide, which means that it's going to kill anything green. It's going to kill grasses. It's going to kill dandelions. It's going to kill oak trees and maples. If it's got green leaves and you spray that product on the leaves, it will die. Now, the next group of plants, we, uh, next group of um, chemistries for weed control, herbicides, are going to be selective, er, 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 selective herbicides. Number one, we have selective herbicides that kill grass-like plants. So that would be a herbicide that if you spray it on your lawn, it kills your Bermuda. But it won't kill your gardenias. It won't kill your hydrangeas. Those are called broadleaf plants. And so that's the next selective herbicide is herbicides that kill broadleaf plants. Of course, we'd usually say broadleaf weeds. So in a lawn situation, most of the chemicals that your landscaper, your chemical lawn control company are using are going to be weed killers that kill broadleaf weeds but don't kill the grass. Uh, some ex an example of that is a product called 2,4-D. Of course, that's a short name for something with a very long name, but 2,4-D will kill these broadleaf weeds like dandelions, clover, chickweed, but they won't harm the Bermuda, the zoysia, the fescue, centipede, St. Augustine lawns. 
So that is very effective. However, that 2,4-D, because it kills broadleaves, it doesn't quite kill those sedges that you're looking to kill, Jerry, that you're looking to get rid of. Because the sedges, like I said, are in the strange group of plants that is very similar to grasses. It's too close to grasses for those broadleaf weed killers to control it. But we can't use the grass killer because we'll kill the grass. So, with that being said, there is a solution. There is sort of this new strain of chemistries that they're using on lawns that kills most broadleafs, but definitely attacks the sedges without killing your lawn. Now, there's several products out there. Uh, The first one I'll talk about is easy to to come by, really. It's put out by Bonide, who you know uh, we've talked about on this program. We, of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, where you can find me throughout the week in Flowery Branch, Georgia. We sell Bonide products. We believe in that company. Trust them. They've got some good products, uh, but they also do a, a lot of organic things as well. So that's why we like that they have something for all kinds of gardeners. <laughs> now, they have a product called Sedge Ender. Sedge Ender. And feel free to go to Bonide's website to look that up or stop by the nursery and we'll show you the, show you the product. But that Sedge Ender, Jerry, uh, is, is diluted. You buy it as a concentrate, so you can dilute it. Uh, you can put it in a, a backpack sprayer. You can put it in a pump sprayer, however you want to do it. And you can go around and spot spray those sedges without harming the lawn. So once the sedge dies back, and it may need a couple of applications of this product throughout the summer, but I would say you've got enough time now to get that sedge ender from Bonide, go out there, mix it up, and start spot spraying. Of course, whenever we use any kind of product like this, any kind of chemical product or organic bottled product, we want to make sure that we are following the directions on the label. The label is there. It has been approved by the USDA, the FDA, whoever all has to get involved, our wonderful government, right? They're telling us what to use, when to use, how to use to make sure we're using these products safely. So depending on your size lawn, uh, what you actually have to do, uh, have to spray, may, be, may vary. I know that product has to deal with uh, 1,000 square feet. So if you have less than 1,000 square feet, just be sure to look at that label. But yes, Jerry, you can get rid of that sedge without damaging your lawn. We'll probably talk a little bit more about this and more of your questions to come after the break. So hang on tight. We'll be back with our mailbox and your questions, our answers. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone. So get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. 
All right, gang. Well, of course, on today's program, we are talking all about your questions. We're talking about your garden specifically. We uh, appreciate the fact that many of you uh, call on us to answer your gardening questions, and we dedicate the last Saturday of the month to do so. Uh, before the break, we were talking with Jerry in northeast Georgia. Not exactly sure which area, but that's okay. He's a neighbor. Uh, he's dealing with this terrible weed called nut sedge, and it is a hard-to-control weed in lawn. He's trying to control it in his Bermuda lawn, and it is very difficult because, like we mentioned, uh, sedges are very similar to grasses. And so the chemistries that we normally use to uh, kill grasses would also kill the lawn so it would kill the sedge perhaps but it may also damage definitely would damage the lawn so we talked about a product called sedge ender now that is uh, put out by bonide it really is a good formulation for homeowner usage Uh, it's a concentrate so you get several gallons of the product from the concentrate once you dilute it But there are some other products, Jerry, that you can probably find. It's probably more of a commercial product, so you may have to spend a couple of hundred dollars or more for a small bottle of it, probably higher concentrates. Uh, One of those would be called Sedge Hammer, Sedge Hammer. And again, whether you go with that sort of homeowner-sized product, the Sedge Ender from Bonide, or you go with more of a commercial product like Sedge Hammer, you will be able to spray that on your Bermuda grass. And I would definitely be selective, though. I would spray it in the areas where the nut sedge is, spraying the spots that they're here and there. Try not to get a lot of that product on top of your Bermuda. But regardless, follow the label. Follow the label. Some products need to be applied at certain air temperatures. Sometimes uh, these products may not need to be applied on a lawn when it's really warm. So always take into consideration that reading the label is going to be your best friend because that label tells you just what to do, just what your uh, protocol should be when handling, uh, mixing, diluting, applying, and then clean up after. That label is going to tell it all. So Jerry, thanks for your question about your sedgy Bermuda grass lawn. I think you'll get that under control and hopefully uh, be a little happier. Nut sedge is terrible. Well, let's go right down the street here in Cleveland, Georgia. Mary B. sent us a question. Uh, Mary says, our Bermuda, another question about uh, lawn. Let's see. Our Bermuda lawn is creeping into a bed of Liriope. It's taking them over, exclamation mark. Is it possible to remove the Bermuda without pulling, uh, pulling it out piece by piece? Some kind of spray, question mark? So, Mary B., I actually am very familiar with your situation because you're not the only one with this problem. If you have a Bermuda lawn, you are probably throughout the year constantly fighting the lawn mixing in with your horticultural beds, with your planting beds, whether there's shrubs there. Uh, in Mary's case, she's got a good stand of Liriope. And I see this all the time where we fail. It's sort of our fault at first. <laughs> we fail to keep the Bermuda out of our planting beds because we know, folks, 
the way Bermuda grows, Bermuda grass, a lot of folks in the South have Bermuda lawns, some people have Zoysia lawns, both of these grasses are running type grasses. So they're not just a bunch, they're not just a clump of grass. No, they have stolons and rhizomes, which are stems, types of stems, that run across the soil or run underneath the soil and pop up somewhere else. So they're running all over the place. It's very aggressive, particularly Bermuda. Uh, if Bermuda is not in a lawn, it is probably a weed, okay, that you can, you can take to the bank. If Bermuda is not in a lawn, it is most likely a weed wherever it is. And Mary has this terrible weed now, uh, which was her lawn, but is creeping into the Liriope. Well, Mary, yes, I, uh, it's difficult, kind of like with Jerry's question. It's difficult when we have these plants that are growing right up against each other, each other and trying to apply sprays, because you do mention spray. Um, so we've got to be very selective. And if you are joining us uh, for the first part of today's show, the first uh, segment there, we were talking about the different types of chemistries that you can use in the landscape. Of course, you have non-selective herbicides, which is a kill-all. Those, those herbicides will kill broadleaf plants. They will kill grass-like plants. It kills anything that's growing, anything that's green. But then we have those special selective herbicides, some that kill broadleafs but not grass, and now we have some products available that are going to kill grass, like your Bermuda, but should leave the Liriope alone. Now, one of those products, another Bonide product, it's called, it's got a wonderful name, easy to remember, it's called Grass Beater. Grass Beater. Now, because it's so selective, it's kind of pricey. I'm sure it's on some kind of patent or something. Somebody's owning some royalties to this because this product can be sprayed, Mary, all over the top of your Liriope. Let it fall onto the Liriope. Let it fall onto the grass. Of course, we'd rather it hit that Bermuda grass. But it will not damage your Liriope. However, it will and should kill the Bermuda back. So if you've got a big, thick stand of Liriope, it's wonderful. It's probably blooming now. I know mine at home is and all the plants at the nursery are. Wonderful blossoms. Go ahead, and while the Bermuda is actively growing, don't wait till fall when it turns brown. Make sure it's green. Go in with the grass beater from Bonide. Spray it over the top. It's okay. If, if, if you have this growing uh, in junipers, I know that I have seen many places where junipers are low growing and they've got grass growing up in and amongst the junipers because it's the juniper supposed to be a ground cover, but that pesky Bermuda gets right through and continues to grow through it. Well, you can spray this over the top of juniper. It should kill the grass back, but keep the juniper safe and sound. So, Mary, you do mention, I should probably talk about this, you mentioned, is there any other way other than pulling it out piece by piece? I've already said yes. We talked about this grass beater product, which is going to kill grass, but not broadleaf plants. But when it comes to pulling, could you do that? Yes. But here's the problem with pulling Bermuda. Surely, when you're pulling Bermuda out, you will find that you don't get the whole root system. Or you pull off some of those runners and some pieces, small fragments, are left behind. Below the soil, on top of the soil, doesn't really matter. They're left behind. Bermuda is so effective 
at growing and regrowing and all these things. And if we leave any of those tiny pieces behind, we haven't really solved the problem, Mary. We've just delayed it. But then instead of a few plants growing, we've got a few plants times 10, times 20, because we've left little pieces behind. And so that leaves a lot of little plant material behind that can start growing, regrowing, and just continue to grow. So even though when it comes to trying to get rid of Bermuda, you can pull some of it out, you're never getting it all. So I would say leave the plant intact unless you don't want to use uh, herbicides in your landscape, um, I would take the route of using the grass beater because it is going to save you a lot of headache. It's going to save you a lot of concern and trouble uh, just trying to make it through day after day looking at that liriope that's just swamped with that nasty Bermuda grass. So with that being said, go ahead and get a jump on it now. Now you might find that it kills most of it back and hopefully that will solve the problem for now. However, I would encourage you to leave a buffer zone. Leave a buffer zone between your Liriope and your lawn. Try to get at least six inches, maybe up to 12 inches of a buffer zone where it's just mulched. Uh, so you've got the edge of the lawn a mulch buffer zone, and then your liriope bed. And the idea is that any time uh, grass tries to creep through that buffer zone, you pull it out, you spray it out before it gets into the liriope. Buffer zones in between lawn and planting areas are wonderful. They're almost critical because it gives you just a few inches of time, right? A few inches of time to get those weeds under control. When we get back, more of your questions. Hang on tight. It's going to be a mailbox of a ride. Come to life. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, of course, today is Q&A week here on New Southern Garden. We've been answering your questions, going to the mailbag, going to the mailbox, our uh, Facebook messages, Instagram messages. Where else? Oh, yeah, of course, the messages you sent us through our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. Now, we do this once a month. So if you didn't realize that we answer questions once a month, You've still got time. You've got three more weeks to uh, send us some questions, and we'll be glad to get you on next Q&A week's program. Of course, that'll be the end of September. Can't believe that this year has already gone by as fast as it has. There's so much to do, and it seems like so little time, and that is definitely the case in the landscape. There's always something to do. So even over winter, don't think. Don't think for a second. Don't think for a second that your job in the garden is finished. It's not. There's always some. We're talking about weeds today. Uh, both Jerry and Mary have a problem with weeds. One in their lawn and one the lawn is becoming the weed problem in planting beds. But regardless, 
these are just summer weeds, folks. Remember, there's going to be a whole new crop, a whole new crop of weeds coming on as soon as it starts to get chilly. Those are the winter weeds. Welcome to our temperate climate zone. Welcome to the south where we have two growing seasons, things that love it warm and things that like it cool. So speaking of weeds that will be growing over winter, these are things like annual bluegrass, poania, that's the <laughs> botanical term we used to use in school, poania. Uh, let's see, chickweed, hairy bittercress, curly dock, if you've got a pasture, usually that pops up everywhere. But these are plants that they are essentially weeds. They're usually not something we want to keep. They'll pop up in the lawn. They'll pop up in your planting beds. But they are cool season. Henbit. That's another one. Henbit. These are plants that like it cool. You can get a jump. You can get a jump on these cool season weeds. And you've got about, well, 15 days to a month to, to make a decision. What we're talking about is trying to get a jump on preventing weeds in the landscape. We may have to do an entire show about this because from about September 15th to October 15th, you've got a window of time to throw out pre-emergence. Now, you can do that in your lawn. If you pay a company to maintain your lawns with chemistry and fertilizers and whatnot, they're probably already doing that for you. So just be sure that they are. Uh, however, you can also apply pre-emergence to landscaping beds, whether it's your shrubbery, your perennial beds. Now, remember, pre-emergence, I should define this if you have just hearing that term for the first time now. But pre-emergence is any kind of product that is going to suppress and prevent weeds from germinating, prevent seeds, weed seeds from germinating. So these products, some are chemical, some are organic. I'll talk about some of those real fast in a second. But these products are products that inhibit the process of germination. So a true pre-emergent is one that is going to prevent a weed from germinating, but it won't damage existing plants. So a plant has got to be defined as that, that entity with leaves or stems and shoots and roots. Remember, a seed does not have a true root and shoot. <laughs> kind of treading on thin water because trapped inside of that seed is a shoot and a root. But they've, that root and shoot have to, have to germinate first. And if you can use a product to slow that process or stop that process from happening, then you've prevented a weed problem in your landscape. So there are some products that are chemical. Sometimes they're pelletized, which makes it really easy because you can roll it out across your lawn or uh, spread it maybe with a hand spreader into your flower beds. So you don't have to pull so many weeds once they've germinated. But there's also some products, uh, mice. That's right, uh, corn gluten, actually. Uh, so corn doesn't really have gluten, but back in the old day, when they first developed this product, it does come straight from corn. Uh, they called it corn gluten. So you will find, of course, we carry it at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flower Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. But there is a, it's called Mize, marketed by Bonide, and that product is completely organic. 
and if it comes as a liquid form, so usually you attach the product to the hose pipe. It's got a, a, a nozzle on the bottle. You turn the water on, and it disperses this corn gluten. We'll use that term loosely, but corn gluten over the earth onto your planting beds, into the lawn, onto the soil. And it's amazing that that natural corn product has these weed-suppressing characteristics. I think it's just wonderful how nature works like that. So don't feel like you have to use chemicals to prevent weeds in the landscape this coming fall and winter. You can also use some organic products like that. Now, in the landscape, I would say that even mulch, even mulch is going to be a wonderful pre-emergent <laughs> because it does stop that process of germination in a way. It actually doesn't let the process of germination begin because germination, you've got to have moisture, which the soil will have. But in order for a seed to germinate, it also needs light. And so by suppressing the light that falls onto your planting beds, having a nice thick layer of mulch can prevent, in a sense, weeds from germinating. And so be sure, I'm mulching a lot of things in my landscape uh, over the past several weeks now, getting ready for fall. I like to do the mulching right before fall gets started because that is a fresh layer uh, that can keep the ground warm for plants roots to stay warm as we go into winter but also it's a great way to suppress weeds from starting up in the fall time and you may do the same again in late winter before spring comes to suppress weeds then if we want to have a small or non-existent weed problem we've got to do things like this to make sure <laughs> that we're not battling weeds when the height of the weed season is there. So with that being said, I, I just sort of tagged this pre-emergent discussion on because it's timely. It's something to be thinking about in the next few weeks, uh, seeing if you can apply these pre-emergents to your lawn or, in my opinion, it's great to use these pre-emergents in the planting beds as well because it's harder. It's harder to uh, work a planting bed, really, than, than, than a lawn when it comes to weeds. So, let's go back to the mailbag, though. Ed P. Ed P. is listening from Alabama somewhere and listening via the Spotify app. If you don't know it, uh, New Southern Garden, of course, airs live here every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. on WRWH 93.9 FM. This is your hometown radio. But uh, after the program, of course... Um, we upload it to the internet, and it's there at NewSouthernGarden.com and also on uh, the uh, podcasting apps. So you've got some for, face, uh, some for Apple, uh, some for Android, and Spotify is an app that you can listen to this program on. Now, Ed P. says, we have a maple tree with low-lying, laying, I don't know. We have a maple tree with low-lying limbs. Let's use that. Uh, it hits me in the face when I move when I'm mowing the lawn. Can I remove these branches? And is now a good time? Ed, I'm really glad that you talked about this because now is still a great time to. Well, let's just answer the first question. Can you remove the branches? Yes. Is now a good time to remove branches? Absolutely. Let's start with that last one, though. When is a good time to prune a plant? When is a good time to remove branches? 
or trim a plant. doesn't really matter what kind of pruning or removal of the stem you're doing. The best time to prune a plant is when it is actively growing. And right now, plants are still actively growing. Most plants will be actively growing until we get into uh, our first frost, which could be October 15th, plus or minus a few days. That's just what history says. But Ed, these branches, I would say it is going to be for your health (laughs) and also for the tree's health uh, to go ahead and limb up as high as you need. You didn't mention, did not mention how large this tree is or how long it's been in the ground. But remember, the best time to prune something is when you can use your fingertips. We want to try to minimize the damage we do to a plant. Remember, when we prune, we wound. Pruning is wounding. So we want to have just like um, uh, if you get a scratch on your arm. You don't want the wound, first of all, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes it's necessary. Accidents happen. And when we are wounded, we want to make sure we can heal as fast as possible. We don't want an open wound or a sore to be exposed for weeks at a time. We want our body to naturally heal it. And the same goes for the plant. We want as small of a wound as possible, and we also want that wound to heal as fast as possible. Which is why, Ed, we want to do any pruning in the growing season. That would be from about April to Labor Day. April 15th, or you could probably get by March 15th, depending on where you live in Alabama. But regardless, we want to make sure that the freeze of winter is over and the plants are about to flush out and start growing. Because when plants are growing, they can heal the wound that you inflict upon it. Now, when you prune branches from a large tree, you really have to make that final cut that separates the branch from the trunk, you want to make that cut right at the branch collar. The branch collar. Now think about your shirt, Ed. Your shirt has a collar at the top. So you're looking for this sort of swollen area around the branch of the tree, right where it butts up to the trunk. If you think of the, um, the branch as sort of like a neck, there will be a collar that's a swollen area in between the branch and the trunk of the tree. And we want that final cut to be sharp and clean. We don't want jagged edges because a jagged cut can heal inappropriately. But just make that cut flush with the collar of the branch. And you will find that over time, that branch collar starts swelling and it starts pushing in like a donut, this perfect little ring. And after a few years, if the branch was removed appropriately and the collar is healing it properly, all you'll see left is just a little center hole, just like a donut, just just a hole right in the middle that's completely healed in. And that is a good sign of a well-trimmed tree, a well-pruned tree. So Ed from Alabama, Thanks for listening via the Spotify app, and I would just summarize in saying this. Can you remove branches? Yes, it is difficult sometimes. If the branch is larger than four inches in diameter, it's hard for a tree to heal that kind of wound. But 
Anything less than four should heal appropriately and quickly. The next thing is, is it a good time? Absolutely. Now is a good time. We're starting to get to that zone, though, that time of year where we don't want to be doing a lot of stuff. We're coming on the first week of September soon enough. And really, fertilizing, pruning, extra watering needs to be done this week. We don't want to push plants to grow or stimulate them to grow with fertilizer or pruning actually stimulates plants to grow. We don't want to stimulate them to grow too quickly as we get on into autumn. So, thanks for your question. When we get back from this break, even more gardening questions. Thanks a bunch. We'll see you shortly. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. Well, gang, of course, that's uh, little Edie Rose, Eden Rose, my daughter. She's encouraging you to give New Southern Garden a question a go. <laughs> and, of course, today on New Southern Garden, we're answering your questions. We want to make sure this program inspires you to do new things, try new things, and whatnot. But we also want to make sure this program helps you specifically in your landscape. So if you've got some problem in your landscape, or really, even if you don't have a problem, even if you just want to share with us some wonderful success stories, I mean, it'd be wonderful to hear some success stories in addition to questions. I mean, I don't want to think that everybody's got a problem. Usually we do. Usually we do. But anyhow, you can always send us those questions to uh, at NewSouthernGarden.com. Just go to the Contact Us page. You can send your question to us Facebook in, via Instagram. You can send us pictures and videos there as well if you think your question might need one, which it can be, I will tell you, very helpful in this business to have a picture or an image of something that's in discussion, whether it's a plant or an insect. It's good to see what we're talking about. But, of course, the next time we'll be answering your questions will be the end of September, the last Saturday of the month. That's what we dedicate. Q&A week for. So speaking of Q&A week, of course, we've got, I think we've got time for maybe one more question. We're going to go to Atlanta, Georgia. Rebecca is listening to New Southern Garden uh, via the podcast, and she says, I'd like to save seed from my vegetable plants for next year. What's the best way to save seed for most veggie garden plants? All right, so Rebecca, I love the fact that you are looking forward to saving seed from your garden, from your very own vegetable garden. I'll say this. Buying seed is a fun thing. You know, it's a good way to try new things because you've got plenty of companies who are selling heirloom seeds, uh, new hybrids, new cultivars, all of these new things. It's wonderful. But sometimes 
saving your seed, there's something that's very fulfilling about it. You know, it really is like these plants are growing from plants that I grew before. Now, when you save your seed, it also helps you to almost create new strains of tomatoes or create new strains of beans because you know you're probably and should be selecting your seeds from plants that were exceptional maybe the tomatoes were bigger or maybe the tomatoes were sweeter or maybe the corn was sweeter and the plant was a little shorter so it was easy to grow or maybe the beans weren't so viney you know, look for characteristics and traits. If there's a certain plant in a row of peppers that didn't suffer from insects or didn't suffer from disease and spots or whatever, um, be sure to save those kinds of seeds. Maybe there were some plants that were really hit by a dry drought spell, but maybe there was a plant or two that performed really well even during the dry times. Rebecca, those are the kinds of plants you want to be saving from because most likely their children, their offspring, is going to create uh, sort of a new plant for you that does well in your local area. Then, of course, you can share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors who may also be gardening and growing in our similar climate. So I think that what you're doing looking forward to saving vegetable seeds is a wonderful thing. Really, it's not a matter of saving money. Yeah, sure, you don't spend money on new seeds every year when you save your seeds, but really the cost of a pack of seeds, even if you buy 10 packs, you probably end 30 or $40, maybe less. And so we know it's not really about economics, but that helps. But it really comes down to um, trying to, to, cre- to grow plants that grew well for you before. So let's talk about a few things that you may want to save seeds from. Let's talk about America's number one top and favorite vegetable. That's the tomato. Tomato, which technically the tomato itself is a fruit because it's a product of an ovary, but we won't get into that discussion today. When saving seeds from tomatoes, this is a unique situation because it's one of the few, one of the few plants in the garden that the seeds are surrounded by this gelatinous sack. So of course, you know, when you slice those tomatoes open, you see that jelly on the inside that's holding the seeds in place. What you want to do is kind of strange. You want to sort of put them through a quick fermentation. And we're not trying to make tomato wine here. All I'm saying is to scoop out the seeds and the jelly that surrounded it. Scoop it out of the tomato. Put it in a, say, mason jar or some kind of cup. And then mix in water. Just a little bit of water. uh, Maybe as much uh, as the seeds that you have in the cup mix all that up and let it sit for a few days maybe up to a week and you will start to see a little bit of fuzzy mold growing on top that's when you're ready to strain it off so by the time that fuzzy mold starts growing you can take your tomato seeds and you can put them over a strainer uh, a thin sieve would be ideal and you can wash that out and all of the jelly will separate very well very quickly from the seed otherwise it's very difficult to get all the jelly out if we don't get the jelly out then we may start getting that mold growing in our saved seed that's never a good thing now with all of the fruit and vegetables that you're trying to save seed for remember you want to pick it at its ripest 
at its maturity. So if you're trying to uh, save corn and beans, Rebecca, I almost leave my corn and beans on the plant that I want to save for seed, leave those corn uh, ears and leave those bean pods on the plant until they are completely dry. And then, of course, you can uh, take the beans out of the pods and you can um, husk, husk, I don't know, how would you, you're going to husk the corn, but then you're going to take off the kernels from the cob to save them. Uh, Peppers are pretty straightforward because they're sort of like tomatoes, but they don't have all that gelatinous stuff. So be sure to let the peppers go to maturity. Uh, If they're supposed to be a red pepper, make sure they turn really red and they may start actually drying out a bit. That's usually when the pepper pod is its most mature and squash the same way if you want to save squash seed be sure to let it stay on the vine as long as you can it'll just get bigger it'll get harder it'll get tougher but eventually that corky inside is going to start separating from uh, really mature seeds and when you crack it open it may be hard and almost dry uh, but you don't want it to rot so don't let it go too far um but the squash seeds should easily be able to be scooped out. And same with watermelons and uh, cantaloupe, of course. Cantaloupe, you just scoop it out like you do whenever you uh, uh, are eating it, about to eat it. You're preparing it. Just scoop those seeds out. And watermelon, eat the watermelon and spit out the seeds. Wash them off. Let them dry. Some other tips that you need to remember, Rebecca, when saving seed is that we don't want seeds to stay moist while we store them. And we don't want them to be um, too warm. If we can lower the humidity and also lower the temperature, our seeds will be viable for much longer. So two important things. Any seed that you saved after you let it air dry on a a napkin or on a paper plate, once they're dry after a few days, put them in a brown paper bag, some kind of paper, an envelope. Don't put it in plastic because that will allow gas exchange and, of course, uh, we won't have too much moisture around the seed. The next thing is I would store them in a refrigerator. No need to store them in a freezer. We don't want to freeze the seeds, but we do want to make sure they stay cool. Well, gang, thank you for... For your questions this week. If you have a question, give it a go. Just send us a question. Give it a go. Send it to us at NewSouthernGarden.com, of course, uh, for New Southern Garden and WRWH 93.9 FM. I am Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. See you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.